We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, we're going to just jump right in the book of Acts. Michael caught us up last week and <laughs> went through 70 verses. So we're going to go back to our routine. And I'm going to cover like eight, okay? So that's how it's going to work, right? We are going to be in chapter eight. So turn your Bible to chapter eight of Acts. And uh, for those of you that are joining us, and uh, here for the first time, we're on this sermon series called Church Without Walls. We're going through the book of Acts. Here's what we know from church history. We know from church history that there's been no other movement in the history of mankind, if you will, where a small group of uneducated fishermen, farmers, sort of culturally marginalized people without the use of military might or political power or cultural prestige transform not just the the common people of society, but transformed the leadership and eventually transformed the Roman Empire. Um, this is that story. This is a story about a group of people who started a movement. They didn't, they didn't start an institution. The church became institutionalized, and we'll talk about that at the end of this series. And that's what you and I don't like about the church. If you have issues with the church, it's an institution. It was never meant to be an institution. It was supposed to be this organic, vibrant movement of people of God. And, uh, and when we come to chapter 8 of Acts, just to catch you up, uh, there's a first in the book of Acts. It's the first time that the gospel actually ventures out of Jerusalem and goes to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Now, when we come to Acts chapter 8, we shouldn't be surprised that this is finally happening. But then we look back and we go, um, why, what took so long? Because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, at the very beginning, Jesus told his followers, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take the gospel, and you're going to take it beyond the borders of just where you're at, this homogenous, this, 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 this place that you know, and I want you to take it to, to, to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. By the way, we don't have, you know, uh, uh, in between, sort of reading in between verse, verse 8, you know, when Jesus said, therefore you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, to which you and I will go, amen, that's probably, no. When they were sitting there listening to that, and they heard Jesus go, Jerusalem, Judea, they're going, uh-huh, mm-hmm. And then Jesus says, Samaria. They probably looked at each other and said, no, he didn't. And then Jesus goes, oh, no, not just Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. To which they looked at each other and said, no, he didn't. It took the early followers of Jesus that long to finally get the gospel out because they're not unlike you and me. The, the, their perspective of the gospel of grace was for our kind of people. Can I talk about that for a little bit for you? You and I might go, oh, we're way more enlightened than that. You know, God, gospel of grace for our kind of people. And, 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 and to think that the gospel of grace wouldn't be for someone because of their ethnicity, their race, or culture, that's just, well, that's just stupid, really. Well, yeah, maybe you think that, but, but I know that there's going to be a, a certain church, I'm not going to mention which, from the South, um, that are going to be on the campus of University of Chicago tomorrow holding up signs that says, fags will burn in hell. You know, almost like, I mean, there's, there's going to be this, there's going to be this rally on the campus of the University of Chicago. I was told this morning by, by a, a staff worker and she said, can you pray? You know, and I said, yeah, I, I absolutely will pray. Because uh, there's a certain segment of the Christian community that says gospel of grace is for our kind of people. And our kind of people means that, you know, sexual orientation, 
You're straight. Because if you're gay, well, clearly. And for some of us, you know, it might be, a, it might be all kind of gospel graces for, you know, people who, you know, sort of messed up, but not really messed up. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you say, so we have this list where, you know, numbers one through five, if you've done those, gospel grace is still for you, but six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I don't think so. Right? Don't we do that? Can I just say, honest, you know what I struggle with? You know what I struggle with? <laughs> you know what I struggle with? Gospel of grace. It's actually kind of counterintuitive, but for me, the gospel of grace that I struggle with, our kind of people, is, is, is those people that will be on campus in Chicago tomorrow. And I'm going to be like, God, bring down fire. <laughs> I have very little tolerance, and it's not right. That's what I'm sharing with you. I have little tolerance Say gospel of grace is for religiously legalistic, fundamentalist, no love, judging everybody else kinds of people. Now, here's the truth, though. The gospel of grace is for everybody. It's for everybody. And yes, Peter, you need to realize the gospel of grace, yes, is even for those people in your church as well as elsewhere who are fundamentalists, you know, legalistic, you know, judging everybody, churchy kinds of people. Gospel is grace for them too. I really don't want it to be, but it is for them too. As much as it is for people who are gay, people who've been addicted, people who sell their bodies. The gospel of grace is for everyone. And the lesson that the New Testament church was going to learn, very difficult, was that they're going to learn that the gospel really was for everybody. So here's what we see. And I don't have time to go. We see the gospel going, and it's going to reach this black fingernail painted, goth, Ouija board playing guy. His name was Simon the Sorcerer. Okay, <laughs> the gospel reaches later on in, in Acts chapter eight. And if I have time, I'm going to hit. If I don't, we don't. But but you need to come back because at some point, even today or next week, we're going to talk about you know emasculation and castration and eunuchs and temple of God and all this other stuff, right? Um, gospel is for everybody. Gospel is for everybody. Do, do you know that? Do you know that? Come on, honestly, for those of us that have that. It's just a thought like, God, I don't want you to forgive them. God, I don't want you to love. For that, we have to repent and realize gospel is for. Say it with me. Everybody. So those of you uh, like me who struggle with churchy, legalistic people, um, I, I know what it's like. Okay. So, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Here we go. We're just going to jump right in. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered. Everybody say that word. Scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. We're going to talk a lot about scattering today, okay? Talk a lot about scattering today. The title of today's sermon is Scattered. Now, what happens here in Acts chapter 8, okay, was already given a preview in Acts chapter 2. To what God intended from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 11. Do you remember that? Do you remember our rediscovery of Acts chapter 2, which was a rediscovery of Genesis chapter 11? The Tower of Babel story. For those of you that don't know, you need to go back and listen to the podcast Acts chapter 2, because what I'm going to say might be confusing. The point of Genesis 11 was not people's pride and arrogance, and therefore God judges them and scatters them. The point of Genesis 11 was this. God intended the human community to be, listen, scattered, 
be fruitful, be multiply, ends of the earth, carry his blessings, okay? And be the mission witness for God. But what do we find in Joshua chapter 11? People of God have rebelled against God and we find they're homogenous, speak the same language, they're the same culture, they're building a tower, but they've also built walls around the city for self-protection, self-preservation. They've chosen safety, tranquility, homogeneity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, over the radical mission of God. And so very beginning, here's God saying, I want you to scatter. Get out of your walls. Get out of your comfort zones. Go to the ends of the earth. Break down walls. Break down barriers. And what do we find in Genesis 11? The people of God gather together in one city. So what does God do? Genesis 11 is God coming on saying, scatter. Disperse. Get out. Get out. I want you to stay here. I don't want you to stay in the safe, homogenous, tranquil, unaware of, oblivious to the needs outside your walls kind of a place. The mission of God says get out. Break down social barriers. Break down class barriers. Break down barriers of sin that humanity will naturally erect. Go. Scatter. This is the very mission of God because at the heart of God, come on, how do you read your Bible? Here's how I read my Bible. Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, come outside. You see the stars in the sky? Count them. Can you count them? No, I can't even count them, God. I'm going to bless you like that. That's that's how many of your descendants are going to be. Great. And what does God say? Now, get out. Go to a land I will show you. Exodus 3, Moses, come on, come on, come on in. God's fire, scary, barefoot, all that stuff. Come on in, come on in. I want to show you my glory. <gasps> glory of God, glory of God. He sees God's glory. And what does God do? Moses doesn't sit there, have a great worship service and a revival and saying, isn't this great? What does God do? God says, now I want you to go, Pharaoh, deliver my people. Isaiah 6, Isaiah, come on in, come on, come on in. To the temple of God. I'll touch your lips and make your life whole. Great. Isn't this great? I'm going to write a book about what it means to be healed. No! What does God say? Who will go for me? Now go. And then Jesus. I could go on and on and on. And then Jesus in Matthew 28. Therefore, what? Say it with me. Go and make disciples. How do we miss this? I'll tell you how we miss it. The sin nature in us. We choose self-preservation over radical mission. The sin nature in us. We choose what's safe and what's comfortable versus what's uncomfortable and what's inconvenient. We like homogeneity. We like commonness. We like the same. Because, you know, it also gets uncomfortable. Let me just say this real quick. Babel plays itself over again in life of churches. Do you know that within 10 years, a church that starts within 10 years, 80% of the resources of the church within 10 years begin to start focusing on the people that are already attending. It's just like atrophy. Churches just kind of go, okay, because the church grows, lots of people, and all of a sudden, the needs and the demands are the customers, you know. We're here. We're here every week. Take care of us. And the church is probably obliged and go, oh, sure. This is the reason why you need to hear why planting churches. The only way to offset this momentum is to plant more churches and scatter y'all and say, go. This also happens in our personal lives too, though. Do you know that? I mean, how many of us are living with this missional call of God, this missional call of God, getting out of our comfort zones, getting out of what's familiar to fulfill the mission of God? How many of us are doing that? I guarantee, listen, I don't know about you, but here's what I've experienced in my life. There's definitely a correlation between my spiritual vitality and whether I'm being missional or I'm living for myself. It's amazing. 
There's a huge correlation between whether I'm living a missional life, missional life for Jesus and for God out there, and whether my spiritual life is, there's vitality, there's passion there. For some of us, for some of us, it's our addiction to convenience. For some of us, it's just flat out disobedience. For some of us, let me just be honest, for some of us, it's fear. Now, let me just that fear, fear. The Bible's clear. God doesn't call us to fear, but he calls us to faith. God is constantly inviting his people. He's constantly inviting us to move in power and in faith. He's constantly inviting you and me to move in power and in faith. And listen, when we don't, when we don't, God will force circumstances upon us in which we have no choice but to depend on his goodness. He will not leave you alone because he loves you too much. He will not let you be. He'll come and say, scatter. Can I say that one more time? God is inviting you to move in faith and in power when you don't. God will not just let you be. He will force circumstances, persecution, upon you so that you have no choice but to depend on his goodness and trust him. Has that happened to anybody? Anybody know what that's like? Yeah. So what we see happening with, uh, with these people, right? Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're being scattered by God. Uh, verse 2, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered, there's that word again, and I'll come back to that at the end, preached the word wherever they went. So check this out, you guys, the progression, right? Stephen's death leads to persecution. Persecution leads to scattering, and scattering leads to what? Do you see it? What does scattering lead to? More ministry, more fruit, more people coming to know Jesus, more lives being changed, Okay? Persecution leads to scattering, scattering leads to increased ministry. It says those who have been scattered took the gospel to the ends of the earth. And there's a critical insight here, insight in chapter 7, an insight sort of undergirding all of Acts 8, uh, all of the book of Acts, that I want to just spend a, mo- a moment here uh, before I move on. And that is this. Throughout the book of Acts, you and I are introduced and come see what on the surface seems to be tragic events. What on the surface seems to be a disaster that ultimately God uses for his kingdom. You, you can't ignore it. You will read, if you're an honest Christian, a thinking Christian, you're going to look at the stoning death of Stephen and go, how does that lead to anything good? What good could possibly come out of this? And in Acts chapter 8, it's like the Bible begins to sort of, sort of lay the groundwork for, 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 for the answer to the questions of, 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 of why, would, why would God allow this to happen? And, and I just want to say two things, okay? Um, I had a young lady come up to me today after 9 o'clock service, and she says, can you pray for me? And I said, sure. What is it? She goes, my pastor was shot and killed this morning at his church. A guy walked in late. The pastor reached out his hand to shake his hand. The guy pulled out a gun and just shot him dead. She says, can you pray for me? Here's what I shared that prompted her to come up. Listen very carefully. Here's what I said. I said, as Christians, among them, there's 
two things, two postures, when events like that, tragedies like that, on the surface, just what in the two things that, that I want to be very gentle and pastoral here because I don't overlook it because it's a matter of faith. One is this. One is humility. Here's what I mean by that. It takes a lot of humility for you and I to come to a point of saying, God, just because I can't imagine or see why you would allow this to happen, it doesn't mean that there can't be a good reason why this would happen. Does it make sense? I don't have that much faith in my cognitive abilities to say, God, I have the ability to search the depth of the universe. And because in my mind, I can't make sense of that, there can't possibly be something good redemptive about it. If you're not a Christian or even a Christian, you struggle with why. I'm not telling you that I know why it happened. All I'm telling you is this. It takes a certain level of humility and faith and trust to say, God, I can't figure it out, but that doesn't mean there can't be reason. Does that make sense? And secondly, secondly, very important. What is the foundation of our faith based on? Isn't the foundation of our faith based on an event that the skeptics looked at and said, useless tragedy, disaster. Skeptics on that day declared, even his followers, what good could possibly come out of that? He's an innocent man, ultimate object of injustice, ultimate object of injustice. What good could possibly come out of that? People wondered for three days, what happened? What good came out of the cross and the ultimate injustice ever committed on the Son of God? Resurrection, hope, healing. Restoration. Do you hear what I'm saying? The essence of our faith says, God, when things happen, I can't figure it out, and I'm just tempted to go, God, the hell with this. The essence of my faith says, I look at the cross 2,000 years ago and the Son of God dying the most tortured death for me and the world. And the result of that, resurrection, hope, restoration, renewal, life, salvation. So how do we as followers of Jesus, people of the cross and resurrection, say that no good could possibly come out of a tragedy? I'm not saying I don't know what they are. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. So let me apply this in two ways, and then we'll get to that. One is this. One is this. Historically. Historically. Let me just give I mean, there's a number of examples I can give you. Historically, in 1949, China is taken over by the communists. All of the Western missionaries, all the Western missionaries are expelled from China. You know what most people thought? That's going to be the end of the church in China. Here's what happened. The church grew to a point where it's 30, 40 times larger now than it was 40 years ago for two reasons. Number one, when they were scattered or expelled from China, most of the missionaries went to other parts of Asia that they would have probably not gone to, some of the unreached regions. But being expelled, being scattered because of the persecution of the communists, these people took the gospel and went to some of the most remote parts of China to where the gospel is thriving today. Secondly, not a lot of people know that in the, in the mid-1940s and, uh, 19, uh, yeah, and, and towards the end, uh, the Chinese church wasn't at its healthiest place. There was a sense of lethargy. lethargy. There was a sense of spiritual, lack like of spiritual vitality. 
And here's what happened. All the Western missionaries are forced to leave. A vacuum is created within leadership. And guess who rose to leadership? Indigenous young Chinese Christians who led the movement. And essentially re-energized the life of the church. I, I can give you example after example of, of similar things, but I want to, for sake of time, then, then to give you more of a personal example, personal example of a personal disasters for me and to me, personal disasters, personal tragedy, things that I've experienced, how, 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 what that has done. Can anybody else relate to this? It seems to me that the, that the, that the, that the biggest harrier, harrier, barrier and hindrance you guys know, I think of like three words at the same time and it just kind of comes out. The biggest area of hindrance for me as a Christian and the gospel becoming alive and spreading in my life is a really comfortable life when everything is going well. Anybody else relate to that? Okay, because here's what happens. I, I, maybe I'm just weird. But when I go through some really tough times, tragic, difficult things happen, it's amazing how spiritually sensitive I become all of a sudden. All of a sudden. All of a sudden. It's also all of a sudden amazing how open I get to, you know, like for example, my prayer life stinks, right? I have a difficult time praying. Uh, and it's all the more so when things are going well seemingly, you know. I don't find myself when things are going well sitting at the dinner table with my family and just, oh my God, overwhelmed with gratitude. No, when things are going well, I go for days, sometimes weeks without ever acknowledging God's goodness and grace in my life. When things happen in my life, it's amazing how God grabs hold. And see, God who knows us gets a hold of our attention during those times because he knows that there's work that he can do during those times when we're spiritually sensitive to his leading that he otherwise could not do. And it's those times we come to realize, listen, to me one of the most foundational things about the Christian life, that unless you and I realize it, we struggle. We don't realize that God is really all that we need until God is really all that we have. The entirety of our lives is God trying to teach us. And God is all that we need. And we don't realize and learn that until God is all that we have. Is this like, I mean, I just pulling out of this stuff. Is this, can anybody relate to Amen. I mean, for crying out loud. So you know what? I, just, I was just thinking this whole thing. Yeah. Um, Christians are, again, being made fun of because apparently there's a, I'm giving up Facebook during Lent. Now, I don't want to make fun of, oh, okay, I got to be careful because I know a lot of you want to church Facebook. Here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying, okay? Because there's a segment out there that go, come on, that's another lame Christian. They're giving up Facebook, you know? Look, here, here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. If there's a list of things in my life, look at, listen, listen, look at, listen, and look. If, if there's a list of things in my life where I'm looking at that going, God, unless you taught me what it means to have you and you only because of that thing. God, what, if there's a list of things in my life, I don't know about you, but Facebook is like number 99 on a list of things that get in the way of me recognizing that God is all that I need. You know, like giving up caffeine is like number 95. TV is like 91. Well, you know, what would be like actually number four or five for me is fasting from food, period. I, I think sometimes make an idol out of food. I enjoy eating and eating good food way more than I should. 
I guess I just put myself out there. <laughs> Y'all got to keep me accountable now. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, but so my question, my question is this. My question is this. My question is this. My question is, if you're going to be serious about a season of Lent and purging and purifying yourself as a follower of Jesus, what is that thing that you can say about God? I don't really know that you're all that I need until you're all that I have. And this thing right here is what's keeping me from realizing that you are all that I need. Can you give that up? Can you give that up? So what happened here as a result of this seemingly tragic disaster? It's really so cool, you guys. First four, it says, those who have been scattered, preach the word wherever they want. Who, who, who is those who have been scattered? Who is that? Is it the apostles? No. We already saw it. Verse 1 says, all except the apostles were scattered. So who were scattered as a result of the persecution? It wasn't, to put it this way, the professional clergy, the 12 apostles and pastors. It was everybody else in Jerusalem that were scattered. This is the reason why within 300 years, Christianity went from a minor, marginalized faith, if you will, to transforming the Roman Empire. What happens here? People of God, followers of Jesus realize it's my job to preach the good news. And check this out. Preach the good news? It's not a really, you know, big word. Preach literally is the Greek word from which you get the word evangelize. It's that the lay people, the followers of Jesus, outside of the apostles, were the ones that were scattered. And wherever they went, they share the good news of Jesus. The reason why they changed their empire and the reason why we can't even make a dent in American culture is because people then, every single one of them realized that wherever they were sent to, that was their place of mission. There was a radical, alive sense of mission like where I'm sent, where I am today, right here, right now, with these people. That's my call to reach these people. It was a radical sense of mission. A radical sense of mission. Mission wasn't for them, the pastors, the professional pay people. Mission for them was they, the 20-some thousand, apparently, who were scattered throughout all that region. That's how they won and transformed their empire. So I need to ask you a question. How vibrant, how clear, how passionate is this call on your life? Here's what I think happened. I think the preaching was pretty darn good in church in Jerusalem. And I think the worship wasn't so bad either. So you I think they thought a mission. They went out and said, hey, I want to invite you to my church. That's part, you know, it's good invitation. Or hey, I want to invite you to my small group, which is pretty good. But here's what happened to them. They didn't have the luxury anymore to say, hey, come check out my church or come check out my small group. And they went. Let me ask you a question. Can you be missional if you could invite anybody to church on Sunday and you could invite anybody to a small group? Oh, boy. See where I'm going with this? You see, you see where we are and where we need to go? I, can I just share some encouraging stories? So there are people in our church, there are people in our church who are doing this. And, and they're just unbelievable encouraging to me. You know, it's good to know and it's good to hear and so I want to share this with you, okay? So, so I get emails, you know, I get emails from people um, 
I get emails from people. Okay, so, so here's, here's one young man in our church who gets this, that he's been scattered. He says, hey, the company I work for was just listed as number 17 in the top 20 places to work in the greater Chicagoland area. By the way, he works for our church. You know. Why is that funny? I really enjoy working here even though I'm reminded on a daily basis that it's work and it's not all Xbox and ping pong and benefits. I'm going, where do you work, man? I want to get a job there. And he just said this. He said, hey, I want to thank you for your continued support, prayers, and consistent challenges to bring the kingdom of God into a place where it's sorely lacking. I would not be here today without you. Isn't that awesome? Good stuff. Not all about Xbox and ping pong. And is Google like this too, Josh? Sort of, kind of. Here's another one. Ready, you guys? Here's another one. Here's another one. He's a musician in our church. He's an artist, okay? And he's on tour right now. Listen to what he wrote. Hey, uh, uh, there's a lot going on, but I just wanted to send out a quick update. I'm currently at Harvest of Hope, a music festival in St. Augustine, Florida. We perform on Sunday. And then we go to Panama City for the MTVU Spring Break, and then to Houston, and then to SXSW, another music festival in Texas. Do you know how amazing it is for me to think that in an MTV Spring Break height of hedonistic stuff, (laughs) that we have a Christian artist from our church who says, I'll tell you why I'm there. I'll tell you why I'm there. Uh, he says, please pray. And he asked for devotions that he would be continue to be faithful to. And then he says, hey, I'm in a 100% worldly environment. I've never seen on TV and MTV you spring break, but I hear that it's pretty raunchy. Here's what he said. I am here to be very distinct. Christian artist around probably every single temptation being thrown at him. He says, pray for protection that I can continue to display. And here's what I love about him. He says, continue to display, not, you know, I'm going to tell you what I need. He goes, pray that I can continue to display as a Christian, fun and godly, engaging spirit to everyone I meet. And there's one other story. I'm not going to tell you 20 of these. There's one other story. This past week, I was talking to a nanny in our church, someone who nannies. I said, so how's things going? You know, she says, and she goes, oh, you know, things are going great, Pastor Peter. Last week, last week, the couple that I nanny, you know, we, uh, we, we, we uh, chartered a private jet with uh, Brian Erlacher and his wife and their family. We went to Mexico for 10 days. <laughs> rewind, <laughs> rewind, rewind. Start with Brian Erlacher, private jet, Mexico for 10 days. What? She says, oh, yeah, yeah. The people that, the people that I, the, the kids that I take care of, the, 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 the family, the family, is uh, great friends, like best friends with like Brian Orlacher and his wife, right? And, uh, and, and, and she's like, yeah, we're in Mexico. I'm like, do they need another nanny? <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> I know somebody might be interested. Not me, you know. And then I asked her, I said, so how's that going? You know what she said? She goes, oh, man, Pastor P. She goes, I had great spiritual conversations the whole time I was there. I will never, ever have coffee with Brian Erlacher. I would love to. It's a dream of mine. <laughs> but I ain't never going to get to. 
You know, I tell you that story. This young lady is in a place meeting people that I will never ever encounter in my life. She might be the only Jesus and the gospel that they will ever hear. What is the gospel according to you at your place, your neighbors, your dorm mates, your neighborhood? What would they say about Jesus because of what they see in you? God says, scatter. Scatter. Go. Go. Brian or lacquer. Man. Anyway, sorry. Where was I? Michael, where was I? Before I started talking about coffee with Brian or lacquer, where was I? Oh, yes. Yes. Verse 5. Uh, so Philip went down to a city in... By the way, by the way, by the way. I just got to stop right. Sorry. Sorry. That was like... <laughs> I, I, just need, I just need to stop here. Just, just, just ask you this, okay? Because like I said, I could, I could go 10, 20, 30 stories of people that are doing this. My, my question to you is, this whole sermon series is entitled Church Without Walls. The whole premise of the sermon series is what we're talking about, which is that the church is not a building or institution. It's the people of God The people who model the body of Christ, not just his mouth, but his hands and his feet, going forth to wherever it is that God scatters them. What are you getting out of this sermon series? Is it just good information? I'm learning a lot, da, da, da. Or is it actually transitioning and transferring to a life lived out? A life lived out. Verse 5, so Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed the Christ there. Oh, man. (sighs) (laughs) There's a particular strategy that the Christians followed. I know, I know, I know. Some of you guys are going to go, here he goes again. Because verse 5 says this. Verse 5 says, Philip went down to the city in Samaria and preached the Christ there. Yes, I'm going to talk to you about why we need to be in the city. But only for like three minutes. I promise. Because I talk about this every other. And I, I get the response. You know, people glaze over. and They're like, here he goes again. That's like his thing. So I'm just going to tune out. And you're going to come back, talk about other things. Now, listen, listen. I want to show you, like real quick, that this was not just a coincidence accident. This was God's strategy for reaching the place with the gospel. This was God's strategy for reaching. God was an urban strategist, and he sent his key leaders into urban settings. Philip, I want you to go to Samaria and reach Samaria. What does he do? He goes to the city, the large leading city in Samaria. Why? You reach the city, you reach the region. This was Paul. Paul, why are you going to Athens, the intellectual, artistic sort of epicenter of the, of the time? Because Athens is the city where the intellectuals and artists are gathering. Paul, why are you going to Corinth? Corinth is the commercial city of that region. Paul, why are you going to Ephesus? Ephesus, the religious center of the... The competing religions to Christianity is in Ephesus. Paul, why are you going to Rome? It is the political, and the list goes on and on and on. Let me, let me show you how profound this is. 
And it's not just accidental. In Acts chapter 16, you know, Acts chapter 16, angel of the Lord appears to Paul and says, in a vision says, I want you to go to Macedonia. So Paul decides to go to Macedonia. Three verses later, you know what happens? It says, and he and his companions then went to Philippi. Where's Philippi? The city of Macedonia. Let me show you one other. Romans chapter 15. This is just so powerful. You, you, it's not my opinion, <laughs> you know. It's not my opinion. It's not just stuff that I'm pulling out. Read the book of Acts. Read church history. Read history for crying out loud. Romans 15. This is speaking. This is Paul Apostle Paul speaking. So from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. This is an amazing statement. Do you know why? Jerusalem to Illyricum was sort of the northeastern basin of the Mediterranean. And here's what literally Paul was saying. Paul was saying, out of the millions and millions of people that may be living there, he says, I've done my job. I fully proclaimed the gospel, and it's not time for him to move on. Paul, you couldn't have possibly met every single person. No, I didn't. What did he do? He went to the major cities, planted churches, and he left. And he says, I have no more place for me to work in these regions. For those of you that are pro-city and say, I love this city. This is just good news, the gospel, if you will. For those of you who don't, here's all I'm saying. Don't have a prejudice against the cities just because of what you've experienced. I want you to see the strategy that God used. I'm not saying that we don't need gospel in other places. We need gospel in all places. Even Hawaii, Michael. Guys, it's not even debatable. You look at Paul, you look at strategy, and you look at the mission of our church and why we're doing what we're doing. We're planting a church, not just in Chicago and Bronzeville. We're planting a church ultimately in Medellin, Colombia, a major city. We're planting churches in all these major city centers. Why? Because when you reach the city, you reach the culture. The cities are the culture-forming wombs of society. And you reach the city, and you reach the culture. The apostles and early disciples could have said, we're going to win one lawyer to Christ in that town, in that country. But then they said, instead of winning one lawyer to Christ, which is great, we're going to win the entire legal profession to bring about not just personal conversion, but transformation in society. We're going to go into the city where the law schools are, where the law journals are written. Just a strategy. What did Paul do there? In verse 5, it says, and he proclaimed the Christ there. Not a lot of time. Here's all I'm going to say about that. Paul didn't go proclaiming religion. Paul didn't go proclaiming self-help. Paul didn't go proclaiming what you need to do to be accepted by God. Bible says Paul went and preached the Christ. Christianity is Jesus. Christianity is Jesus. Here's the major difference. Religion says you live a good life and you give it to God and he blesses you. So you follow the rules really well. Christianity, Jesus says, I live a good life for you and I give it to you. And you become righteous in God's eyes. Christianity is not another religion where the religious founder came and said, here's a set of teachings, here's a set of examples, now go do it. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, came in weakness and he said, you're not strong enough to do the teaching. You're not good enough to follow the example. 
You could try, but you'll never do it. So here's what I'm going to do, see? I'm going to follow the rules for you. I'm going to live the life you should have lived. I'm going to die the death you should have died. And when you trust and believe in me, the life that I lived and the death that I died is yours. And you become acceptable in God's eyes. Did you know that the word gospel literally is not a Bible word? The word gospel in first century Greek was just another term. It literally meant news. Gospel, evangelion, was literally news of a historical event that changed a listener's condition. So the gospel was when your country won war. The gospel was when a new king ascended to power. That's what the word gospel meant. And so when the early believers went around saying, the gospel, the gospel, gospel, people didn't go, instruction, what? What do we need to do? What, advice, what? What do we follow? They heard news. Something happened. What happened? Jesus Christ died and rose again, and you can become his. Gospel, Christianity, is Jesus. Is that good news? Is that good news? It's great news. Where would you and I be today if gospel was instruction, if it was advice, if it was examples to follow? By the way, this is the reason why your friends don't want to be a part of Christian faith. A lot of your friends are turned away because when they hear Christianity, what do they hear? They hear what? They hear religion. They don't hear Jesus. Are you telling them the great news? Are you telling them this great news of people for whom a two-minute conversation about Christianity it's not religion, man. It's not. Christianity is Jesus. For some of them, that might be the thing that will say, really? I might want to give that a shot. Christianity is Jesus. It's not religion. What did he do there? Uh, verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. And with shrieks and evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy. There was great joy in that city. Will you go back to verse 6 again, please? Laura, when the crowds heard and saw, do you see the pattern that we see throughout the book of Acts? What did Philip do? He did what? He did two things. He preached. And he healed. They not only heard the gospel, they saw the power of the gospel. Don't get hung up by the fact that, you know, he, he, he healed people and cast out demons and go supernatural. That simply means that Philip not only went around talking about Jesus' gospel, you need to believe, but he saw physical suffering and physical misery around him. And he dealt with it. He worked on it. He worked on it. The whole gospel that brings about life and transformation is not one or the other. The whole gospel says that hear the gospel, the good news of Christ's death and resurrection, but they see the power of the gospel as God's people radically and sacrificially see physical suffering around them and they address it and they meet the needs because that's, that's the essence of the gospel. Let me just put it this way. You could talk all you want. I could talk all I want about how Christ has risen from the dead. But unless the people can see that they can, unless the people can see that they could experience resurrection from their current life circumstances of brokenness, of addiction, they will not believe the gospel. Did you just hear what I said? Is the gospel that we're preaching of Christ's resurrection simply something in the future? Or is it something that gives him hope now? Because we could say, your life of deadness, your life of deadness and without vitality, your life of addiction, your life of brokenness, that life can be restored. That life can be put together. That life can be made whole again. Why? Because Christ rose from the dead. When we do that, both and, 
people want to hear what you have to say? How are you pouring out your life in radical and sacrificial service to heal people around you psychologically, socially, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually? Is the world around the seeing radical proclamation of the gospel? Yes. But people who live under the rule and reign of God, and as a result, they're addressing physical suffering, brokenness around them radically. Then they will come. I want to hear what you have to say. All right. I, I, I want to end with this. I want to end with this. We're not going to get to the, we're not going to get to the, you know, the goth. Ouija board playing guy today. <laughs> I really actually wanted to kind of give a, give a, little, a little preview for the eunuch. This is a fascinating story of an Ethiopian African eunuch who, who is coming down from Jerusalem because he hasn't been able to enter the temple. It's such a fascinating story of what the gospel is. And you need to come back because we're going to talk about like eunuchs and castration and all this other good stuff next week. Okay, anyway. Um, by the way, man, if you want to tell your friends like, hey, you want to hear something that's Never going to be heard in church next Sunday. Is it Sunday? Okay, anyway, so here, here's, here's, uh, here's what I want to say, okay? So here's where we're going. Here's where we're going because it's so pivotal. It's so, so pivotal. Acts chapter 8 is this pivotal period because finally the gospel from this very Jewish, you know, culturally homogenous, ethnocentric thing to, 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 to go beyond. But you and I got to know, if you've, especially if you have any knowledge of the Bible, even Sunday school, you and I got to know that what Philip does here of going to Samaria and what Philip does here by going and ministering and touching cripples and paralytics and evil demons, that was just like an unheard of thing. Not only is going to a place that's considered unclean, unacceptable before God, but he's, he's with people who are considered unclean, unacceptable before God. What prompts him to do that? Let me tell you a little bit about Samaria. Samaria, a little one-minute thing on Samaria. Here's Samaria. Samaria was a group of people, okay, that, that arose this way. And about the 6th century B.C., the Assyrians came and invaded the northern tribes of, of Israel. They deported some people, but they left other people behind. And then the Assyrians repopulated that region with their people, other Assyrians, Arabs. So the result was over generations, there was a group of people that were considered mixed breeds. That in itself, to a Jew, was very offensive. But here's the other thing, too. It kind of went both ways. The Samaritans kind of said, okay, you think we're that? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to build our own temple in a place called Mount Gerizim. And screw you. We're not going to go to Jerusalem to worship God. Not only that, but we're going to say, we're going to repudiate some of the Old Testament laws. Okay? Cause they're, and, and so we're going to kind of do our own thing here with the books of Moses. And we're going to worship here. So they were considered heretics. So the hostility between Jews and Samaritans was more tense and more severe than any other ethnic, cultural, racial, whatever tensions or relationship you could imagine at that time. Philip, however, something has happened inside of him. Something has happened inside of him that he ventures out. Jerusalem, Judea, homogeneity, safety, comfort. He ventures out and he goes to What prompted him to do that? There's like two, three ramifications. I'm only going to talk about one today, okay? Here it is, ready? It's verse 4 again. What prompted Philip to do that? He was scattered. Listen, let me say the principle and then I'll come back and talk. God will oftentimes physically scatter us to remind us of the truth that we're spiritually scattered already.
God will oftentimes physically scatter us to make us realize that we're spiritually scattered already. And listen, listen. Only when you and I realize that will we be able to, here it is, live in places we really don't want to live. Be in places we really don't want to be. And minister to a group of people we really don't want to have anything to do with. Only when we realize that we have been scattered When we come to realize, when the gospel has broken inside of us, when we come to realize, here's what I mean. Throughout the New Testament, do you know, Josh, what the Bible says you are? Because as a child of God, Christian, do you know what the Bible says you are? James chapter 1 verse 1 says this. Josh, you are God's elect, scattered, exiled through other regions. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Byron, the Bible says you, Byron, a child of God. But you're a stranger in the world. You're an alien in the world. You've been exiled. You've been scattered. The Bible says that you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The Bible says you are not citizens of earth. You are now citizens of heaven. The Bible over and over again says this, and I don't know how we miss it. The Bible over and over again says, here's your identity. You ready? You're an exile. You're a stranger. You've been scattered. You're a foreigner in the world that you live in. Why? Why? You have a new identity in Christ. You have a new standing in Christ. You have new wealth in Christ. You have new membership in another family. So here's what this means. Here's what this means. Let me tease it out. Here's what this means. That means that among other things, you're not physically where you are from anymore. What do I mean? I ask you, where are you from? I'm from Southern California. Actually, I beg to differ. If you're a child of God and citizen of the kingdom, you're not from Southern California anymore. You're a citizen of the kingdom. Where are you from? I'm from Korea. Oh, you're from Korea. That's great. That's kind of where you're born. But actually, as a Christian, now they go, that's not where you're from anymore. You're a citizen of the kingdom. There's been a transfer, a radical change. Okay, okay. So if you're sitting there going, apply this for me, what the heck does that mean? Here's what that means. If you're a kingdom citizen, you don't have to live in those places anymore to be happy. Because you're not from there anymore. And, and, as a kingdom citizen, you're no longer asking, where can I live where I can be the most comfortable? But you're asking, where can I live where I can do the most good? Come on, church, somebody speak to me. As a kingdom citizen, you're not saying, I have to live in Southern California to be happy anymore. No, you don't. You've been scattered. You don't have to live in Korea to be happy anymore. You've been scattered. I don't have to live in whatever fill in the blank to be happy anymore. Why? You've been scattered. And as a scattered kingdom person, you say, your minds have totally shifted. Inside. Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. It this way. If I ask you, why are you in Chicago? If, why are you living here? You know, you, you, you know what you would not say? None of you sit here would say, I'm in Chicago because I wanted to be in the center of God's strategic program for healing of the world. None of you. Why are you in Chicago? Because I wanted to be in the most strategic place to advance the gospel and change the trend from the culture. No, none of you would say that. Why are you here? You've been scattered here like Philip. But now you're here. Spiritually see what's happened to you. God has brought you here, not because it's the most comfortable, but because it's where you can do the most. Say it with me. Oh. 
Y'all sitting there going, I knew he was going to talk about the city again. And why I want you to live back. Oh, you're here. I'm not saying you don't need to live in the city of Chicago. I'm not saying that. But here's what I'm saying. Before the gospel snaps in you, you know what's going to happen? You and I, before the gospel snaps, we have a radical prejudice against living in radical places in radical ways. But if the gospel is snapped in you, you will now have a radical prejudice towards living in radical places in radical ways. And you'll be free. Because you don't have to live there to be happy anymore. You don't have to be over there to be happy. You're free. Nothing controls you. I'm talking to like 80% of y'all. You're in the next six months to a year. You're going to make a decision on where you're going to live. Perhaps in the next two, three, four years in long term. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. As you look at your list as a follower of Jesus who's been scattered, who's been scattered, who's been scattered. As you look at your list, is the list of priorities one? Oh, the weather, dude, has to be. Number two, there's got to be a lot of culture, a lot of, a lot of things that I enjoy, a lot of things. I, and number three, and this is hard. That's because that's where my family is, which is great reason. And the list goes on and on. How about if that was inverted? You know, kind of like the kingdom. And you ask yourself, God, here's my prayer. Why don't you send me to the place where you think I can do the most good? What would God do? If you don't realize you've already been scattered, you're going to have a hard time with this. But if you realize you've already been scattered, your prayer is, God, my life's already yours. Send me. Send me. Father, we come this morning. Um, I want to give you guys an opportunity. Just take a couple minutes to reflect on what was said. Specifically for some of you that are making or in the process of or will need to make some important decisions about life where to live where to work where to settle down realize child of God that you've been scattered already you've been scattered already your identity what defines you who you are you're a citizen of heaven you're a citizen of the kingdom you're not of this world And that means that you and I have the radical freedom to say, God, where do you want me to go? I can do the most good in pouring out my life and resources for your kingdom. Is that your prayer? Are you that free? Are you that free? Are you that free?
before the worship team leads us in this final song, here's what I want to do. For those of you for whom um, this is very real, this is very tangible, I'm talking about specifically decisions to make about where you're going to be, where you're going to live, where you're going to work. And you just need some prayer this morning saying, I just need prayer for obedience, prayer for direction. Can I just have you stand? Just stand from where you are. And we want to pray for you as a church. Go ahead. Do that right now. Great. Do that right now. Just stand. Stand, 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 stand. 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 Jesus. I want you to know your your lives are precious to me. More importantly, they're precious to our God. And we as a We as your family, we as your body want to pray for you. Can maybe some of you guys that are sitting around these brothers and sisters, just open your eyes, look up, and stand with them. Stand alongside them. Put your hands on them. Put your arms around them as we pray for them. Father, we, uh, we come this morning, Lord. And God, uh, (laughs) your word is clear. We're exiles. We're strangers. We've been scattered already. And God, my brothers and sisters, with courage and with humility as they stand for prayer and saying, God, speak to me. God, God, radically speak to me. Father, we pray for a heart of obedience. We pray for a heart of trust. We pray for a heart, God, this morning that would say, God, regardless of what it is, my answer is yes, God. My answer is yes, God. That that kind of radical faith, trust, obedience, Lord God, would be true of my brothers and my sisters that are standing today. And that you would grant them clarity, that you would grant them wisdom, that you would grant them Holy Spirit of God, your leading. Be with them. Be with them. We lift every single one of them up to you, Lord Jesus. You know who they are. You know their story. You know where they're at. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Oh, These are your people sent out by you. Speak. 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 May the power and the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, O child of God, as you go. Go in peace. Go in peace.